Good to be together. Uh, we're going to be this morning in the book of Acts. So if you find uh, in your Bible the book of Acts in the New Testament, that should be the fifth book in the New Testament. We're going to be this morning in uh, chapter 14. Chapter 14. So we're going to finish chapter 14. Um, we're going to finish what has been called uh, the great Apostle Paul's uh, first missionary journey. He probably did not think of it that way. He was just taking the message of Christ to people. But uh, we look at it and we see it as the first missionary journey ever in the church. And so um, they, uh, you will recall from the beginning of Acts chapter 14, they were sent out uh, by the church of Antioch, which had sort of become the center, the central church, you could say, of Christianity um, after Jerusalem. And so uh, this, is, this is where we're at. So Acts 14, um, 19 through 28. Everybody okay? Good morning? Yeah? Ready for the 4th of July this week? Yeah? Okay. Um, so I want to show you a map. I want to show you a map. Um, I show you maps every week of the Holy Land and Israel. And so this, some of you are thinking about uh, the summer. You're thinking about uh, travel plans, uh, packing, uh, most efficient ways to get places, uh, maybe a vacation that you have planned. And so I just want to pose a question to you. And I want to use this map to do it. And if you can't see this map, you're just listening to this sermon much later. I'll try my best to describe what we are looking at. So if you went on a trip, if you went on a trip from Miami to Wilmington by boat, by small cruise ship, and then you got off the boat at Wilmington and you went by land to Charlotte and then to the mountains of Asheville, and then south to Atlanta, and then you ended your trip in Jacksonville, Florida, which is also on uh, the coast of the Atlantic Ocean, just north, seven hours or so from Miami. So if that's the trip you went on, okay? So here you are, you're in Jacksonville, Florida. How are you going to get back to Miami? How are you going to get back there? What's going to be your plan for getting back to Miami? And I'm asking you this question intentionally. I want to show you the next slide because I want to ask you this question. What would it take? What would cause you, you're just trying to get back to Miami. What would cause you to go back to Miami by the exact route that you just came? In other words, to go from Jacksonville, instead of just taking a short boat to Miami, to go from Jacksonville back to Atlanta, then into the mountains, back to Asheville, then to Charlotte, then to Wilmington, then getting on a boat again and sailing to Miami. What would cause you to do that? Let me just make this even more. What if in every city, part of the reason you left those cities was because you were assaulted by the police? So that just changes it a little more, right? What would it take for you to go back that way? Yeah, love. I, I would say maybe if one of my kids was left in each city. Maybe. Or maybe for, for us, if you don't have kids yet, maybe if your cat or your dog. 
was there. You left him there to get some kind of special dog ACL replacement or something, okay? So what would it take, like, for real to go back that way? Now let me show you another map. Because this gets us into Acts chapter 14 and what we're looking at with Paul's missionary journey. This, listen, if this is like a commercial for having a physical Bible. Like, if you have, I mean, it's fine if you don't, but like, if you have one of those like old school physical Bibles, right? They got maps in the back. This is a chance for you to turn to the maps. I know. You've been waiting a long time. So, so like, you can look at the missionary journeys of Paul oftentimes in the back of your Bible on the maps. And so what I want us to see, and it's similar to the, to the trip we just described. Paul goes on this missionary journey. You know, you see there from Antioch that sent him out to Cyprus and then up to the coast, the southern coast of Turkey. And then he goes to all of these cities and he gets to Derbe. And that's going to be in our passage this morning. And that's the end of the trip. Why would he not get back to Antioch by going the shortest distance? Why would he not just go to his hometown, Saul of Tarsus, right? Why would he not just go to his hometown, then get a boat and take a very short boat ride to Antioch? Why would he not do that? Why would someone not do that? What would it take for you to want to go back to all the cities you just came from. In particular, these are cities where people, mobs of people, came from these cities and stoned you and tried to kill you. I submit to you, friends, that Paul knew that crowds and converts, while exciting, while encouraging, was not enough. His mission was strong and encouraged disciples through healthy local churches. And so he had to go back. And he did go back. And that's what this passage is about this morning. And I just want to read it to you now. And then we have two points this morning. So Acts 14, verses 19 through 28, the title of the message this morning is More Than Crowds and Converts. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, here's the key word, they, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. 
And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Bow with me in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the word of God that is open in front of us. And we pray, Lord, that we would draw from it truth, that we would see Christ exalted, that we would see a path before our feet for us to walk in discipleship, for us to take up our cross and follow our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, please help me to speak clearly and to encourage those that you have gathered here this morning. Lord, may we be like that church at Antioch that gathered and heard the declaration of all that you had done. May we find strength in our souls through that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So more than crowds, more than converts, really the goal is discipleship. The goal is discipleship through the local church. And so the first point, there's two points this morning. And the first point is this. Discipleship is God's mission for me. Discipleship is God's mission for me. Not just church attendance. Not just converting to Christ, though discipleship is not possible apart from that. Not just being a member, though hopefully being a member of a church is some sort of actual expression of your commitment to be a disciple. Not going to a Bible study, not being in the ministry, none of that. It's discipleship. Being a disciple and making disciples. And you say, well, that's great. Is this a a discipleship conference? Is this for pastors today? No, this is for all of us. Again, the point is, discipleship is God's mission for me. And I very much do mean that this morning for you and for me. Again, verse 19. And, and just so you know, you know, the word disciples occurs so many times in this passage of Scripture. Three times in the verses that are supporting this point here, 19 through 22. So verse 19, it says, But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Those are the cities that Paul had just been in. So they followed him. Paul got away from those cities, and they kind of rallied a a mob of people, and they came. Now they're in this town called Lystra. And they come, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. All right. This, This is like, this is really graphic. You know, Stoning, um, it, it's, a, it's capital punishment. It still happens today. In fact, um, there was an article in The Hill um, reporting how the UN was, was needing to issue a criticism of the Taliban just this past February for them stoning a woman and a man who were accused of adultery in Afghanistan. This is capital punishment. What what is stoning? It's capital punishment. And you know, you might say, well, you know, stoning, it's so barbaric. I'm so against that. But it's really just a matter of degree. Like if you're in support of capital punishment, then stoning's just somewhere on the spectrum of forms of capital punishment. And so capital punishment, it is communal, meaning the whole community participates. And in that aspect, there's 
it, you know, I don't think we should find anything that we really like about stoning, but there's an aspect of, I don't know, like a lack of hiding, maybe? Like the first two witnesses in the case or in the prosecution are supposed to be the first two people to throw stones. So you better not lie. You better not bear false witness because you really might have to back that up. It's communal. I guess all capital punishment, all sort of forms of punishment are communal in the sense that we as a community have identified laws, those laws then hold people accountable. So it's more indirect in our society. But it's communal, it's participatory, it's capital punishment. Now you know, Stephen in Acts earlier in our book that we're studying was the first Christian martyr and he was stoned. Do you recall who was instrumental in him being stoned? It was Saul, who now goes by his Latin name, Paul. Jesus said in John 16, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they are offering service to God. And so these people who stoned Paul in this moment in Acts 14 felt they were doing the right thing, the just thing the correct thing, the God-glorifying thing. That's what they felt. Jesus told Saul in his conversion that he will show him how much he must suffer for his name. So here's Paul. He's been stoned. You know stoning, you can look it up, you can look into it. I mean, basically, um, it's building a fire pit on top of you. That's what it is. Um, You are... They dig a hole, you are put in the hole, and then people one by one throw stones into the hole, hitting you until you die. That's stoning. There's different ways that it's done. Because it's still done, you can even, you can even see it. YouTube, I wouldn't suggest it. Stoning, capital punishment. And so Paul is stoned by these people. They drag him out of the city thinking he was dead. Luke is careful as he's writing here not to say that he was dead. He wasn't dead. This isn't a resurrection. But they really thought he was dead. So verse 20, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So, so you see the picture here. Paul, Paul is stoned. He is dragged out of the city. He is left. They think he's dead. They think it's mission accomplished. They've ended. They've shut his mouth. And the disciples gather about him. Luke doesn't specify what happens here. You don't, we, we don't really know. I mean, did they gather around him and put their hands on him and pray for him? It would seem to make sense. Maybe that's the picture. Did did they gather around him to protect him while he recovered? No more stones. We're protecting him. It's hard to know exactly what happened. We just know what Luke tells us here. The disciples gathered about him. But I think it would be important for us right now to see the importance of having a community of disciples around you. Just picture this. Just picture this. Paul needed these disciples to gather around him to protect him or to pray for him that he might continue 
in what God has called him to do. Do we not need that as well? Should we not be striving to find ourselves within a circle of disciples? It's amazing, really, that it says in the text, he rose up, and what did he do? What did he do? What does it say? He entered the city. This is such an amazing verse. He was almost dead. Thought, people thought he was dead. People who stoned people all the time in their culture thought, he's done, we're good. And they thought he was dead. And then he wasn't dead. He is prayed for. He's guarded and protected. He rises up and he's like, all right, let's go back into that city. Let's go back right into that city. Maybe he needed to, though. Like, you don't really want to hang out like on like some remote piece of property after being stoned to recover from being stoned. You might want to get away from there. Maybe he went into the city to recover. Maybe he went to an urgent care or a hospital. Who knows? But what did he do the next day? And it is literal. It says the next day. The next day. It doesn't say after some time. Sometimes Luke says that. He says, after some time, and we don't really know the length of time. No, he says it very specifically here. The next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Again, the point here is discipleship is God's mission for me. How can we not get that point from this? What did they do in Derbe? Look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Do you see it? Making disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. The priority and importance of the mission of making disciples is laid before you here. There are not many things that someone would get up right after being almost dead, enter right back into a city, go the next day, then to be part of this But for Paul, discipleship is that one thing that's worth that level of resilience and courage. Derbe is 60 miles from Lystra. This was not a simple journey. They preached the gospel, which is to say they made new disciples. Then it says, and they made disciples, which is to say they probably taught and strengthened them, as Jesus said, to go into all nations, making disciples, teaching them all the things that I've commanded you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so they go to this other city, and again, on the map, that's the end of the line. So after they go to Derbe, they're going to return. Now, before, and so they're going to go back to Lystra. And then they're going to go to, it says, Iconium, I'm in verse 21, and to Antioch. These are the cities that the people that stoned them came from. It says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So just think about this. Paul had been chased out of these towns. He, um, many of these places had, had needed to run away from there because they had a plot to kill him. So Paul knew that these very brand new believers in these cities 
probably were weakened in their souls. Sheep startle easily. They were probably very discouraged by what they thought was happening. And so Paul wanted to go back. And it says, literally in verse 22, strengthen their souls and encourage them. And that's a big part of discipleship, strengthening their souls and encouraging them. Who can you strengthen and encourage today? It's really not quite, it's definitely not the same, but it's similar to the appearances after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When his disciples were were so discouraged and hopeless, and then Jesus shows up, and he's like, hey guys, I conquered death. I finished paying for your sins. I rose from the grave. Touch the scars in my hands. Feel the wound in my side. I am risen. Be encouraged. Have hope. There's a sense in which we, like Paul, can participate in the sufferings and in the resurrection of Christ when we bring strength and encouragement to people who are discouraged. <laughs> he says, like, look, look at what he says. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Discipleship is forward-looking. We're entering the kingdom. This is not our home. We are citizens of a different kingdom. We are entering the kingdom. Discipleship is through, not around many tribulations. Discipleship is through, not over or underneath many tribulations. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Think about this. You know, sometimes they say when you're speaking, you need to have um, ethos, pathos, and logos. Ethos, well, pathos is like, there needs to be feeling in what you're saying. Like you need to, people need to feel like you believe what you're talking about. You know, there needs to be logos. Like it needs to be coherent and logical and make sense. And there needs to be ethos. Ethos, credibility. Can you imagine the gravity of the credibility of Paul in this, in this moment? He's like, hey, pardon my bandages from the cinder blocks that just fell all over my body like three days ago, but through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters. One more thing. It's kind of a chaotic scene. There are places on Paul's missionary journey in Acts 14 where it's very clear there's a lot of fruit. The city of Lystra, not so clear. I mean, we know that he was stoned in Lystra. Uh, we know that they, we saw this last week, they, they, that when he performed the miracle on the man who was crippled and lame, um, they tried to worship him. They thought he was Zeus and that Barnabas was Apollos or something like that. And, and they tried to make sacrifices to them. And Paul and Barnabas were like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, it's a chaotic scene. Ministry is chaotic. Ministry is a mess. People are a mess. Working with people is messy. I, you know, I think about the people in our church that do college ministry. It's a mess. 
it's very difficult at times to see investment and return. It can be very messy. Ministry is like that. It's the same with children's ministry. It's the same, and it's very much this way in inner city ministry. It can be very messy. It can be very difficult to see the fruit. Sometimes you have to wait, and someone else sees the fruit. Why do I say that? Because Lister kind of feels that way. It kind of feels like, all right, God, well, I'm not really sure what you did in Lystra, but glad Paul's alive. Moving on. Except when you come to Acts 16, which we're not going to go there fully, but I want to read you a verse. So this is in his second missionary journey. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So so again, in Acts 14, we don't see much clear fruit. It's so messy. It's so chaotic. It's probably even a little discouraging. Yeah, Lord, what were you doing there? I don't know. And yet, somewhere in that scene of chaos, Timothy is standing on the sidelines, listening to these sermons by Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas leave, but because Paul and Barnabas didn't just settle for crowds and converts, but actually planted churches with elders, Timothy was then able to be nurtured and strengthened as a disciple, such that many years later, when Paul would come back to this area, there would be a guy named Timothy that he would then take with him on the rest of his ministry, and he would later write that he has no one else like Timothy. And So it's really profound, and I just want us to see this morning the profoundness of how God can be at work, and we can never fully know what God is doing through our labor. But what we do know, more than crowds, more than converts, discipleship is God's mission. To be a disciple is to be a follower, to be a learner, to be one who is really following Jesus Christ. It's not church attendance. It's not just being a Christian. It's not filling in with your number two pencil, the little bubble that says you identify as Christian on some form. No, it really means to be a follower of Christ. Discipleship is God's mission for me. Second point, The local church is God's method for me. The local church is God's method for me. Verse 23 to 28. And so again, and and when I say God's method for me, I mean in accomplishing the mission that God has for you, which is discipleship. So the local church is God's method for me. Verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The local church is God's method for me. Elders were, we know from multiple places of teaching in the New Testament, elders were qualified men charged with leading in the local church. Here we see these elders were appointed 
It says there are plural, there are multiple elders for every singular church. Who are the elders for, according to verse 23? The elders were for them. That's the disciples in these cities. Serve them, to lead them, to guard them, to shepherd them. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, Paul had not been gone from these towns for very long. And so these are young elders. These are young elders. These are Christians, young, but stepping up. And I love that about the New Testament. You don't see people just sitting around wasting their 20s and 30s, waiting till they're in their 40s to do something significant in the local church. No, these are young believers that are stepping up, saying, someone's got to lead, I'll lead. This is organized religion for those of us that just don't like it. You're like, I, I just want a Bible study. I've been hurt by the church. Paul's like, really? You've been hurt by the church? Let me show you my... Uh, stoning scars. He's like, like church hurt is real. Like, you know, we do need to like work through it and like be forgiving. That's why the, all the letters in the New Testament are written to Christians that they need to forgive each other, right? Because there's so much hurt that we have from the local church at times because we're not perfect. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it because you're not perfect. Like, it's just a thing. But it's a necessary thing. It's an absolutely essential part of discipleship. It is plan A. It is God's method. You see that they they got organized here. Some of us cringe. Oh, organized religion. Yep, they got organized. They appointed elders for them. They prayed and fasted. They sought the Lord's leadership and guidance in who they would pick. So they didn't just pick the chief of the tribe, the most wealthy and affluent person. They didn't just pick all the alpha leaders. No, they fasted and prayed and they let the Lord pick because the Lord does not see as we see. The Lord sees the heart and the character. So they prayed and fasted and, and, and they committed them to the Lord because that's who these leaders are need to be committed to. Certainly not to the task of leading in the church because that will let them down, but to the Lord. Organized and formal. I think what we're seeing here is very formal. Healthy. By healthy, I mean healthy enough to have leaders. Organized, formal, and healthy local churches with biblical leadership in place, which could continue the ministry, was the method for the apostles. It's because of this method that Timothy was nurtured as a disciple. It's because of this method that the known world, the Roman Empire at that time, was reached such that Paul would want to go to Spain and Rome feeling that everywhere had been reached. Once leadership in this way was in place in a particular location, Paul felt like we could move on. And that's what we see them doing here. So the apostles, we asked the question at the beginning, what would cause you to do something so inefficient and so life-threatening to go back through all the cities that you just came through 
What would cause a person to do that? Maybe their kids are, are there, their pets, love. Or maybe Paul understood something that, friends, I fear we often say but do not live out. We often just don't understand. The crowds, converts, mere adherence to Christianity, as awesome and as great of a starting point as those things are, it's not enough. There's got to be discipleship and there's got to be a commitment to and a prioritization of God's church. The apostles risked their lives to make sure these towns had churches. Not just converts, not just crowds, not just stories of miracles, not just Bibles, churches. God's mission for me is discipleship. God's method for me in achieving this mission is the local church. And so we should ask, do our priorities reflect those of the apostles and of the New Testament? The local church is not an elective option in Christian discipleship. It's the major. No, it's actually the university. Verse 24, they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So here again, back to this church, this local church, this awkward, clunky, eclectic church in Antioch, the place where they had been sent out from. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. It's amazing, really, that Paul and Barnabas, these apostles, they went back to a local church and reported to and were accountable to what God had done through them. Even Paul. It says they gathered the church together. You see Paul and Barnabas getting back into town saying, we're having a potluck. Gather together. We want to tell you about this missionary trip we just went on. It says they declared what God had done. You see? Not what Paul and Barnabas had done. Not what God hadn't done. They declared what God had done and how he had opened a door of faith. And then it says they remained there with that local church no little time with the disciples. Couple of things as we close, just ways to apply this. Again, discipleship is God's mission for me. The local church is God's method for me. One quick way of applying this would be just very specific to our church. Uh, this upcoming year, um, in the fall and the spring, uh, we're gonna we're gonna restart our partnership with an inner city middle school, uh, Ligon Middle School. We had for many years the ministry called Lamp Ligon. Adoption Mentor Program, a weekly mentor program. And just this past week, 
met with the principal and some staff there at the school, and everybody is so excited to start it back up. But we need some disciples to circle around this ministry effort that has seen so much fruit in the past, but they got hit with a lot of persecution, a pandemic, uh, legal troubles, just all kinds of things came against this ministry of Fellowship Raleigh. And, and this is a time as we go into the fall where we need disciples to circle around that we might enter back in to the city faithfully to see more fruit. So that's one thing. Another thing I would just say would be to really seek to, and I would just personally challenge you to, to pray about and think about how you are planning in this next season of your life, whether it's this summer, whether it's this next year, the school year, to be vitally part of a local church. Not to say it, but to really live that out. To see that be a priority in your life as you see it as a priority in Paul and Barnabas's travel plans. Travel plans. So just be challenged, be encouraged, and realize why all of this has happened. It's because God loves you. Because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of those, you and me, who would trust in him. And we're about to celebrate this with communion. But he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he longs for his sheep to be shepherded in his church. Let's close in prayer. and I'm going to invite Jack, an elder, to come up and lead us in communion.